2: I want to speak to Debbie Hard, who's available to have a conversation with us. Uh, Debbie, good morning. Good morning. Uh, This is a a difficult, well, every week's a difficult week for people that we're going to be making reference to. But this week may be um, additionally challenging because... The whole idea of eating disorders is being spoken about in crystal clear fashion during the course of this week and it's a conversation that unfortunately some people don't want to hear about. It is important however to highlight the issue and you are a specialist in the field Debbie. What are we hoping to achieve this week? Um, This
1: week's a very important week for people that work in eating disorders because it's um in disorders awareness week, and unfortunately, eating disorders, like a lot of mental health have very much um they're very much still stigmatized a lot of people are still very embarrassed to talk about them, and they're still very misunderstood. Um, they're actually the most serious of all the mental health disorders that have the highest death rate of any psychiatric illness. Um, so it's something that we need to be talking about and being much more open and honest with and encouraging people to talk about and feel safer to talk about.
2: And it is important to have a platform like this and to be carrying out the conversation, whether it's a comfortable one or not. You've, you've lived the life walk, the walk. Debbie, tell, tell me your own story.
1: Um, yeah, I was a gymnast when I was younger. Um, I started restricting food probably about 11, um, probably 13. Um, that went on for a long time, very much unnoticed because of the sport I was in. Um, my mom and dad maybe noticed around 17, took me to the doctor, but at that time the services here were very much in their infancy. Um, and I didn't really unfortunately get the help that I needed. Um and as with any illness, the longer that it's left untreated, the more serious it becomes and the more difficult it is to treat. Um so finally at about twenty two I reached out for help and um unfortunately I had to receive my help in London because again the services here weren't really equipped to deal with what I needed. <laughs> Excuse me. Um And I was treated in London as an outpatient for four years, Um, thankfully managed to get better and going through my own treatment kind of really let me see that this is what I wanted to do for other people. It was such a difficult place to be. Having an eating disorder is very lonely and very isolating and it's still seen as quite shameful. It's very difficult to talk about and people don't understand it. You hear time and time again, if you could just eat, then everything will get better. But eating disorders they're not they're not about the food and um, they're very much they've got psychological underpinnings and people use eating disorders to help themselves cope in a way so um, making someone eat is never the way to treat or cure an eating disorder and um, so kind of going through my own process I realised that this is this is what I wanted to do I wanted to help other people the way that I had been helped um, and so I trained and became a psychotherapist and then myself and my family opened up the charity to support other families that is um, affected by eating disorders.
2: Could you be living with someone in the family could I as a parent or could I as a sibling be in a family and not be aware of the other person having an eating disorder?
1: Absolutely um, it's a very very small minority of people that very obviously look like they have an eating disorder. Anorexia is probably the, the least common of all the eating disorders. A lot of people with eating disorders can be of normal weight or even slightly overweight. So you wouldn't, you, you don't necessarily look at them and think, this person's really struggling. And um, signs the eating disorders make people very secretive. They get very good at hiding food or disappearing to the bathroom after they've eaten food and um, so they get very, very deceptive and um, deceitful. So a lot of the, they're a very secretive illness. So a lot of the signs and symptoms often go unnoticed for a very long time before people start to think something something might be going on here. They've maybe become more withdrawn. They don't want to go out a lot. They don't want to socialise. They kind of seem anxious around food, seem preoccupied, talk a lot about weight or shape. Um, but it's not, it's not always very visible.
2: And should you, should you, if you, you're, if you suspect that a family member is facing that challenge, or indeed a, a close friend, even, should, should you, should you, should you bring it up as a topic, or should you wait till they mention it to you?
1: No, we would, we would always, from our charity point of view, we would always encourage parents and carers. If you notice anything, you know your, you know your loved ones better than anyone else. We would always encourage. This kind of an open and honest conversation about it to kind of um, express your concerns and point out the things that you've noticed that have changed. Another symptom of the illness is denial, so it's it's very rare that someone will just kind of come clean and say, "Yes, I've been I've been struggling for a long time." But you can, you know, approach it in a very compassionate way. Cause this person's really struggling. Um, to say, "I'm here for you. If you want help, I can come with you to the doctor, or we can help you sort." some sort of support, um, you know, reminding them that you're there to talk if they do want to talk about it. It's very difficult because because of the complex medical issues that come alongside eating disorders. They do need to be, people do need to be under the care of doctors and specialist services. And and one of the big frustration for parents and carers is they often can't make their loved one go and get help. Um, and it causes eating disorders cause a lot of friction and a lot of conflict and bring a lot of stress into the house and one of the biggest pieces of advice we would give families is try, try to avoid conflict just try and keep things calm and keep the communication lines open between yourself and your loved one but do have the conversations
2: Eventually this will lead to organ failure it, it can lead to the most serious of illnesses and is it... Is it reasonable to suggest, and I don't want to say the wrong thing because I'm aware of it being such a delicate issue, but within the mental capacity of a person who is struggling and who is suffering with the eating disorder, is it in any way reasonable to suggest that it is a slow form of death by suicide?
1: Yeah, it is. It's it's starving. In anorexia. It's you know, it is starving yourself to death. Um and sadly it's you know, with the highest death rate of all the illnesses, it's at twenty percent will die from anorexia and fifty percent recover and thirty percent will go on to live with it in some way for the rest of their life. So it's it is a very, very serious illness. Um but, you know, again, like you said, this, this week is, is very much an important platform for us, but we have to raise these issues and talk about this is a serious illness and we need improved services here, we need improved treatment here, we need, we need a lot more money put into mental health and, and, in particular, eating disorders.
2: Well, we've had the conversation before about the help is needed for as long as I've been doing this programme. We've heard calls yeah. from people like you, uh, Debbie, saying that more help is needed and mental health charities saying that more help is needed and hopefully, hopefully it will be coming. Um, we'll try and f- finish on, on a positive. For, for those, Debbie, who are reaching out now and who need the help of, you know, Fight ED, your, your charity, what, what's there for them if they were to lift the phone today?
1: We um, deliver a world-renowned training course called The New Modsley Model. It's a two-day workshop for parents and carers that's specifically designed to guide and educate and support parents and carers in, in dealing with their loved one. Um, it teaches them all about eating disorders, the best way to respond, how to provide male support, the psychology of change, how to promote recovery. Um, it's. Um, It's a life-changing course really for parents They are often left out of the treatment. If someone is lucky enough to get into treatment services here, the parents are often kind of forgotten about. um, And we feel that the parents are are a huge source of support. Um, Parents and carers are often around the loved one more than anyone else, more than any medical professional would be. So for us, it makes a lot of sense to support and um, encourage and advise family support system in the best ways to help them and respond so we run these two day courses specifically for parents and carers where they can come along we are my other parents and carers in very similar situations and hopefully leave feeling a lot better equipped to support and help out their loved one
2: and finally and briefly debbie on the web how can people find out more
1: um, on our website, we've we've got a lot more information about our courses and the dates of the next upcoming courses. And our website is www.fighted.org.
2: Okay. But Debbie, really appreciate you speaking to us this morning on this the week that highlights the ongoing distress that people are going through in families where someone has an eating disorder. Debbie Hard, the founder of Fight ED.